Anytime you see a word like therefore or likewise, some of the newer translations would read like this, in the same manner as. That means about the same thing as likewise, doesn't it? Just saying it newer way or the older way. But it says in the same manner as, and what he's going to talk about is submission. Now go back to verse number 13, the previous chapter. It says, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. For the Lord's sake, whether it be the king as supreme or governors unto them that are sent to you by the punishment of evildoers for the praise of them that do well. For it is the will of God. Basically, he's going to say submit to the government. And then if you go a little further down, if you look down, if you would, let me see here. Verse 18, servants. Now, let's make it a little more up to date. You that have a job. You that go to a job tomorrow morning, 8 o'clock, punch that time clock. He says, be subject to your masters with all fear. Now, let me ask you a question. How many have recognized that if you have a job and you have to punch in a clock and you have to punch out when you're done, that they have quite a bit of control over you? Amen. Would you agree with that? Do you have to be somewhere tomorrow morning, 8 o'clock or else? Come on. You say, well, I'm retired. Well, praise the Lord. Did you ever have that situation then? How's that? Would that be all right? Yeah. Um, you know, that's what it is. We were driving to church tonight as we drove down the, the ridge. Much cooler on top there than it is down here. Seems like it's five degrees warmer down here for some reason. I don't know. But anyways, as we drove down, my wife was pointing out where the cops hide. There's a spot where they've got the trees just perfect and, and they catch people coming down that ridge and there they wait for you and, you know, I'm never going to say I didn't see them. <laughs> I do slow down. After you've been stopped a couple of times, you've got to slow down. Would you agree with that? So I tried to be subject to that 55. I was driving to church this morning, got somebody passed me. I was going... 58 miles an hour, and they passed me like I was standing still, and I was looking at that little spot where the cops hide, and I thought, where are they now? What happened to them dudes? But they should be there. So, you know, that he says, be, be in submission at your workplace. Be in submission to the government. Now he's going to talk about submission in the home. Now, let me ask you a question. If the Roman Empire was running the show, and they had a, a, a real you know, kind of a soft spot in their heart for crucifying people that were insurrectionists, you think maybe you could submit to their ordinances, yes or no? Come on. Yeah. When's the last time you saw somebody crucified? You, you don't, but they did it all the time. That was their favorite method of getting you to comply. I think I could probably submit. I really do. If a Roman soldier came to you in the day of Jesus and told you, threw his burden down and said, you got to carry that for a mile by law, doesn't matter what direction you're going, you got to carry his bag for one mile. Jesus says, carry it too. Remember that? Yeah. So he's saying you submit to the to the to the ordinances of man, you submit to the, the laws of your employer. Now he's going to talk about submitting in the home. I don't have any problems with the government. I don't have any problems with uh, my workplace. <laughs> what about at the house? That one's tougher. How many would agree with that? Of all the ones we've kind of listed, that one's a lot tougher than the rest of them. 
So that's where he's going to go with this tonight. So he says, likewise, he says, wives, be in subjection. Submit to your own husbands. Ladies, listen to me for a second. It's, it's a real small area of submission. It's to your own husband. It's not to every man. I've seen some Baptist churches where they thought it was to every man. And that's not the, what it is. It says, only to your own husband. That is, if any obey not the word, they may without the word be won by the behavior, the conversation of the wife. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Whose adorning let it not be with the outward adorning, the plating of the hair, the wearing of gold, the putting on of apparel. I've seen preachers get up and, man, they wax eloquent. You women out there, you're, you're adorning yourselves with the plating of your hair. I don't know exactly what that means, but whatever it is, it's bad. And then he says, you're, you're wearing gold. <laughs> and I've never heard, okay, now, you're not allowed to wear dresses either. Read the story. Read it. If it's wrong to wear dresses and to wear clothes then I, I think we're getting the wrong idea if he's saying you can't wear gold and that having a hairdo is a bad deal. I don't think that's his point because I've never heard a Baptist preacher say you shouldn't ought to wear clothes when you get up in the morning. <laughs> yes or no? So that can't be what he's talking about. Let's keep reading. Let it be the hidden man. This is what it is. It's an attitude, not an outward adornment. He says that, that hidden man that's incorruptible, that's, that uh, is even an ornament of a meek, a humble, and a quiet spirit, a tranquil soul. That's the idea. He goes on, which is in the sight of God of great price. And after the manner in the old time, holy women also trusted in God, adorned themselves, being subjected to their own husband, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. By the way, if you're dating a gal and she will call you Lord, she's a keeper. Marry her. That's the only one in the world. <laughs> Anyways, let's move on. It says she called him Lord. And it says, uh, as long as you do well, don't be afraid with any amazement. Likewise. Likewise what? Submission. Husbands. Dwell with them according to knowledge. Giving honor unto the wife as a weaker vessel as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now, how many found out that marriage, a wedding is one thing, but marriage is something else? I couldn't hear that, but I'll just keep on going. I heard somebody say something. A wedding is one thing, marriage is another. What's the difference between the way things start at home and the way things continue? In his book, Secrets to Inner Beauty, Joe Aldrich humorously describes the reality of married life. He said, it doesn't take long for newlyweds to discover that everything in one person's, uh, that everything in one person's not God. They soon learn that marriage license is just a learner's permit. <laughs> and they ask with agony, is there life after marriage? An old Arab proverb states that marriage begins with a prince kissing an angel and ends with a bald-headed man looking across the table at a fat woman. <laughs> That's pretty tense. <laughs> Socrates once said, 
to his students. By all means, marry. If you get a good wife, twice blessed you will be. And if you get a bad wife, you can always be a philosopher. That'll come to you. Count Hermann Kieserling said, the essential difficulties of life do not end, but rather begin with marriage. Wow. Marriage begins with a romantic moonlight sleigh ride. You smoothly glide over the glistening snow. It's living together after the honeymoon that turns out to be a backpacking experience. <laughs> These are supposed to be funny. <laughs> a backpacking experience against across hot sand. Is it getting better? Where two people live in domestic harmony. It takes a lot of give and take. If you need any confirmation of this outside your own life, look at the statistics. The statistics basically say at your office, in your neighborhood, at church, there's broken marriages, there's separations, there's divorces. That's reality. That's reality. Like I said, a wedding's one thing, marriage is another. What a difference between the way things start in a home and the way they continue. Now, I'll be really honest with you. I've been married 42 years in about two weeks. And I am no longer an, an idealist. I am a realist. And if you've been married any length of time, you too are a realist. You know, I look back on 42 years, and there's been times of learning, times of growth, times of difficulty, times of ecstasy, times of delight, times of discovery, some heartache, some hardship, years of having children, losing two children, years of growing together, and I must confess on some days, growing apart. And at first glance, if you got your rose-colored glasses on, you don't see that. I, I didn't think when I first got married that marriage was an ebb and a flow. An ebb and a flow. And it is. Sometimes it's better than others. Sometimes it's so fantastic you can hardly stand it. And then sometimes it's I need to go for a drive. Now be honest. I heard about the newlyweds that woke up one morning after their honeymoon and the man suggested, he says, darling, why don't you get up and make us some coffee? And the wife looked confused, but she said, honey, that's your task. What, why? She said, because it's in the Bible. He said, what do you mean it's in the Bible? The Bible doesn't say anything about the man making coffee. And she took her Bible and she said right there, he brews, he brews, he brews. Don't you think that was semi-clever? Well, tonight we're going to talk, away, talk a while from this letter and the heart of this letter 
has a, a gem of a truth, to be quite honest with you. And I think many times this gem gets lost, and sometimes I don't think it's viewed in the proper context. Because I do believe there are sometimes people take this verse out of context and try to make it say things I don't think it says. So tonight what we're going to do is we're going to talk about uh, submission in the marriage. Let's talk about some review. The context of this section that we're in is basically submission. We saw submission to the government. We saw submission of slaves to masters. And now we're going to be talking about wives and unfair husbands. And the Bible basically is going to talk a little bit later in this same chapter, chapter 3, about Christians in an unchristian society. How do you make it? So this context of this section here is on submission. Now, what's the word mean? Because I think we've got to be making sure we're on the right terms. The key word here is submit, and it's the way to live honorably. Peter says you have to submit. It's a Greek word. It's a military word that means to fall in rank. It's the idea of falling under authority. It's composed of two words that means one, to appoint order or to arrange, and the other word to place under or to submit. So with this construction, it conveys the idea of submitting oneself, placing oneself under someone else's authority. That's what it's talking about. And it recognizes that there is authority. God has existing authority in our world. It's coupled with a willingness to set aside your own desires, to show a dependency upon God, and basically to look at human authority and to see that the Bible says there are those that are set in rank over us. I'm convinced in my heart, if you're going to be a good student of submission, you gotta get, you're going to get along better in life. Because I think sometimes... We find out that people that aren't taught submission have to be taught submission at Metro Baptist Preschool. And then at Metro Baptist Kindergarten. And Metro Baptist First Grade. And Second Grade. And Third Grade. And Fourth Grade. And it doesn't stop until they get out. Now, I'll be real honest with you. I'm not really convinced that submission is taught too much anymore. Amen. And maybe one of the reasons why we have such confusion in our society is because we no longer submit. Unless we're tased. And there are some that get tased. Would you agree with that? Now, the problem with this passage is that I believe some men have taken this passage to an extreme. And I think that sometimes they promote a cowering, a servitude behavior by women. Sometimes it leads to the worst kinds of abuse. Others go to opposite extremes and they label this passage as being dated or cultural. And they say it really doesn't matter what it says, it's obsolete. You don't need to worry about that because it's written to a different group at a different time, so don't, don't sweat it. 
But let me help you with something. I do believe that the truth probably is somewhere between those two poles. One that says it's not culturally relevant and the other that take it to an extreme. I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle. It has to. And so what my job is tonight is to try to give you some wise counsel and to help the wives understand the first six verses and help the guys to understand the next seventh verse. Now, immediately... Saying that, the wives are going to say, well, why do they get six verses and the guys only get one? And once again, let me just say, I have no idea. I do know this, that in the society in which they grew up and when they lived, Christianity took women to a different level than they'd ever experienced. The Oriental mind, even today, views women as not superior but lesser beings. I've been in the Middle East. I've been in the Far East. In both of those places, I think, don't elevate women, but they suppress them and they push them down. And to be quite honest with you, I think that uh, their view of women are very... (laughs) Incorrect according to the Bible. What the Bible basically does, Galatians chapter 3, the Bible says God doesn't see male, God doesn't see female. God doesn't see rich, God doesn't see poor. God doesn't see Jews, God doesn't see Greeks. Basically, the Bible says it this way, Phil Martin amplified, the the ground at the cross is level ground. There are no haves and haves not with, with God. And I don't believe that God made man superior. I don't. Now, some of you say, well, I know why you believe that. It's because you got a wife and and three daughters. Well, I also had a basement, and I spent a long time down there by myself. (laughs) In the dark with the lights out. (laughs) Me and my dog, (laughs) who was a male, by the way. We would sit down there and we'd just say, wow, too much drama upstairs. (laughs) Just thought I'd throw that out. But anyways, now this passage, I know, is one of the hottest potatoes in the scripture, especially for ladies. Let me put you at ease, gals. I do not believe this or any other part of the scripture admonishes a wife to stay in a situation where her health is threatened where the life of her children are in danger. This is not what submission is all about. So don't take an extreme view here. God is not saying you have to stay in a home and get the stuffing beat out of you. He is not saying that. Now, ladies, we're going to start with you tonight, and we're going to work our way through here, and we're going to look at three things for the gals, and then we'll look at a couple of things for the guys, all right? Let's look at verses 1 and 2, and let's kind of work our way through here, all right? Now, the first thing he's going to talk about is analyzing your actions. Let's see what he says. Scripture says, you wives, be in subjection to your husbands, your own husbands, that if they obey not the word, they may without the word be won by the conversation of of the wife. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. All right. Most of the time, wives view their, their row as conditional. 
Basically, it's like this. If my behavior is going to be what it's going to be, then my husband's behavior needs to be what it's going to be. Yeah, if I'm going to submit to that ogre, he's going to treat me with respect, and he's going to treat me the way he's supposed to. And to be quite honest with you, this is exactly what this passage is not teaching. Notice who it's talking to. He's talking to a Christian wife. And the Bible says, be subject to your husband, that if they obey not the word. Now, ladies, look up here. There's two kinds of husbands that could obey not the word. You could be married to a man who's an unbeliever that thinks Christianity is the dumbest thing he ever heard. Scripture says be in subject, be in submission to him. Or he could be a Christian and be in disobedience to the word. By the way, I think that kind of a husband is even more miserable than an unsaved husband. Because he knows better. And he's got the Holy Spirit working on him. Now, you say, Pastor, do I have to be subject to that kind of a husband? That's what Peter says. Look at what it says. He says that they may be without the word won by the conversation of the wife. Basically, he's going to say your behavior is going to be the thing that's going to bring them around. Now, I don't have time to turn. Will you just trust me for a second? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul talks about an unbelieving husband married to a believing wife. And, and the question becomes, do I have to stay married to that guy? He is a turkey. Man, he, he's just really a turkey. And Paul says, don't leave that relationship. Be, be very reticent not to leave. And the reason you want to stay is because that unbelieving husband is sanctified. 1 Corinthians 7, 2 and 3. That unbelieving husband is sanctified in that relationship if he stays. Here, let me, let me give you the Phil Martin Amplified. His chances of getting saved increase dramatically if you'll stay with him. If you'll stay in that relationship and really show Jesus and really live for Christ and be submissive because it's the right thing to do, he will come to Christ because of your reputation and your testimony. Now, that's basically what Peter's saying. Peter's saying in this passage right here, he says, you wives, he says, this husband that doesn't obey the word, he may without the word. Now, the first word is the word of God. The second word isn't talking about the word of God. It's not saying this. Now, ladies, look up here because this is important. It's not saying that you memorize every verse in the Bible that deals with his shortcomings and you blast the snot out of him every day with memorized verses. That's not what you do. It's not saying that you memorize God's word and you beat him over the head with it and you nag him into submission. Amen, Pastor. I'm glad we came tonight. Boy, I, how'd you like to have to teach this lesson <laughs> and look at your face right now? There's some of you you can chew a ten-penny nail in two. Bottom line is this. He says, you're not going to win him by using the word on him. Now, how are you going to win him? Let's look at the passage that they, without the word, be one and the word there isn't the idea of the word of the wife either. It's not yang 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 yang
I'm not being ugly, but nagging won't get him into heaven. Amen. You listening to me? Slapping a, a pack on their back and putting your spurs on them, riding them down to the store every day probably ain't going to do it. What wins them? It's the behavior. You say, Pastor, what is that behavior? It's the idea of submission. He notices the behavior of the wife. And what's the subject of the verse? Your submission to that husband. You submit yourself to him. And the Bible says, notice the way it reads. It says in this verse, he says, they'll be won by the behavior, the conversation, the visible testimony. That's the idea. The visible testimony of the wife. Notice, while they behold. Now, I know exactly what some of the ladies are thinking. Well, you know, Pastor, you know, I tried that a couple of weeks. I gave it a good shot. And I, I really tried to be submissive to him. And I did it for two weeks. And it didn't change him at all. Didn't make any difference. It was a waste of time. Wait a minute. Let's look at the promise. The promise in verse number two says that while they behold. Now there's a lot of words he could have used there. That, there. that word right there is, you know, there's in the scriptures the, the Greek word Blepo. I could go through several Greek words, but you don't care about that. But anyways, different Greek words have different meanings. Sometimes it's a quick glance, and sometimes it's, it's, a, it's a stare. And then sometimes it's the idea of watching to the point where it begins to turn the light on. The Bible here is using that word. It's saying, while they behold, while they watch your conversation, and they put two and two together, and they come up with God. That's what it's saying. It's saying that that husband will watch you. He will behold you. That's the promise. It won't do any good with my husband. You don't know who my husband is. Then Peter had no idea what he was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Come on, how many know that I don't believe that? I don't believe Peter's just writing this stuff. Now, by the way, he is a married man. He had a big mouth. You don't think they had any go-rounds at Peter's house? Don't you think she got tired of him running his jaws? Absolutely. And he says, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, he says, you need to analyze your Actions. Billy Graham's wife was named Ruth, and Ruth once said, my job is to love Billy, and God's job is to make him good. What a great quote. You see, wives that are truly obedient to Christ find that they honor their husband, that they have a secure spirit they submit as a mark of security it's not a spineless cringing based on insecurity and fear it's a voluntary unselfishness a willingness a cooperative spirit that seeks the good for one's husband you say well pastor that just that just sounds like such a dead-end street 
Not according to Peter. Peter says they'll notice. Peter says that a husband that watches a wife in that kind of a, a situation, he won't have a casual glance. Boy, I mean to tell you, he'll fix his eyes on that and he'll begin to think, what's got into her? So he says you got to watch your attitude. One writer said this is the silent preaching of a lovely life. Wow. Isn't that a great way to say it? Then the second thing he says watch your adornment and your attitude. Look at verse number three. He says who's adorning let it not be the outward adorning of the plating of hair the wearing of gold the putting on of, a, of apparel but let it be the hidden man of the heart which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God, is of great price. Now look up here, ladies. Let me help you. This is not saying that the outside is not important. I'll be really honest with you. I wish I was such a spiritual giant that the first time I saw my wife that I would have said, wow, what a meek and quiet spirit that gal has. That wasn't exactly what I saw. It was back in the days of Sonny and Cher, and she had long, straight hair parted right here in the middle. And she was, she looked like an Indian woman. She was dark. She had long hair, and then she'd wear usually something white that would accentuate her tan. And I saw that gal, and I said, hubba, hubba. Look at that. And then she began to talk to me. She said, Phil, where are you from? I said, would you say that again? She said, Phil, where are you from? Then she'd get a smile on her face and she said, you're just mocking me, aren't you? I said, no, I've never heard my name with three syllables. And I started saying, man, this gal named Beverly, wow, holy moly. She is. <laughs> Don't you remember when we used to do that? <laughs> Some of you said, no, we never did that. Well, back in my day, that's what you did. That meant good looking woman. Now, when I got to know her and I started watching her, I said, wow, what a gal. And I got past the physical and I started seeing the internal. And she's a very beautiful gal on the outside and the inside. And that's what attracted me to her. So I don't think he's saying here, look like an unmade bed. <laughs> I don't think he's saying here, it'd be in your best interest to look like a ghost. I don't think he's saying here, it doesn't matter whether or not you brush your teeth or comb your hair. Y'all listening to me? There is nothing wrong with putting a little whatever you put on yourself. All I know is I see my wife when I kiss her good morning. She goes in the other room and she comes out. It's a new woman. 
It takes about 45 minutes, but when it's over, it's fantastic what she can do. Is my wife in here tonight? I don't think so. Is she in here? I don't see her. Since Harold the mouth ain't here, I'm good to go there too. So I don't think he's saying it's don't adorn. He's saying there's something that's more valuable than the outward adorning. I don't think he's saying here, I was driving down the road right over here on Cedar Street and it said $85 for a cut and a color. And I asked my wife, I'm so ignorant with those kinds of things. I said, is that a good price? How much does it cost to get your hair cut and colored? I wish I had hair to get cut. You know, I got a haircut this week. And man, oh, why that gal skinned me. And all it was, I had a black, one of those black deals around your neck, keeps the hair out of your shirt and all that. And all I could see was gray hair. And I thought, oh, wow, what an old fart you are. That's what I thought. I thought, man, alive, I've really gotten gray. I can't believe how much gray hair is on that apron. I don't think he's saying it's wrong to have adorning. I don't think he's saying it's wrong to have jewelry. Now, I'm not going to go that jewelry part right there because my wife has a little bit. In fact, if I had a picture right now, if I could get by with it, I'd show her her jewelry drawer and how organized it is. It's it's a feat. It totally is 100% a feat. But I'm sure that the ride home would not be worth going home, so I don't have any slides tonight. We're not going to go there, all right? Now, you say, Pastor, do you think it's wrong for women to have jewelry? Man, when I used to go to the Orient a lot, and I'd go over there, and I, I started buying my wife jewelry. One time I'd go and I'd buy her the earrings. The next time I'd go, I'd buy her the bracelet. Next time I'd go, I'd buy her the ring. And I, I worked my way through. I, I won, about three years at Christmas time. It was great. I didn't have to be smart. I just knew what I was going to do. I knew what ring went with what earrings and, and, and what earrings went with what bracelet. And I'd, I'd buy her this kind of stuff. And then the next time after three years was up, I'd start on this one. And then I did that for like 20 years. She's got every color you can possibly want. But you know what? To be quite honest with you, it's not the jewelry. It's not the adorning. It's not even the dressing. Look at the way this reads. He says, it's not the pleating of the hair, it's not the wearing of gold, it's not the putting on of apparel, but it's the, it's the hidden man. Now, your newer translations, your New American Standard, the way it would read, it would be something like this. It says, whose adorning let it not merely be. And I think that's the right translation there. I, I don't think he's condemning Doing your hair and wearing a nice dress and putting on, you know, a new do. I tell my wife, I don't care how you fix your hair. Fix it any way you like. Two weeks, it'll look to me like that's all you've ever had. I can get used to anything in two weeks. I really don't care. But the bottom line is he's not saying don't merely be that. Don't just be external. He said, make sure it's the hidden man of the heart, 
which isn't corruptible. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me be real honest. Let me give you the Phil Martin. It doesn't age. It doesn't wrinkle. Boy, I'm going to get in trouble here. It doesn't get fat. We got pictures of when we got married. I want to be really honest with you. 42 years ago, we looked vastly different. Vastly different. Every once in a while, I like to show the girls what we looked like when we got married just to see the look on their face. This is what we used to look like. He says, it's not corruptible, but it's a meek ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit. Meek, the word is humble. That's the word. It's, it's talking about being humble. Humble in the Bible is the idea of being controlled by another. Humble in the Bible is the idea of being meeked. In the day of the, in the, day of the Bible, to be meeked, you take a horse and you would... You would meet the horse. It basically meant that the horse would train itself to have a rider. The horse would be meek so that it would take a rider on its back. It means you'd submit the horse's will to the rider's will. The word meek there was used sometimes. My wife's probably in the nursery and she's meeking babies. I'll guarantee you one of them is my grandson. They cry and they cry and they cry and, 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 and they're like baby whispers. They begin to talk to the baby and they, they pat the baby and they walk the baby. And after a while, the baby finally calms down. The baby's been meeked. That's the idea. It's the idea sometimes in the Greek of, of taking somebody that's got a broken bone and you take them to see the doctor and the doctor sets the bone back in place. And the idea was that they were meeked. So the idea of this word here is, is allowing yourself to be put under the control of another. You say, Pastor, who is that another? It's the Holy Spirit. That's it. So the scripture says, if you really want something that lasts the test of time, that doesn't get wrinkled, that doesn't get ugly, that doesn't get, <laughs> let's just be nice, pleasingly plump. He said, you develop that inner attitude, that hidden man, and that ornament of a meek, a self-controlled spirit, a self-controlled attitude by the Holy Spirit of God. And then notice what he says. He says, not only a meek, but a quiet spirit. The idea is tranquil, peace. Now, let me ask you a question. How many unbelieving men or how many disobedient men to God's word that are saved could live with a woman that was controlled by the Holy Spirit and had a tranquil spirit in her being? Do you not think that'd make a difference? That's what he's talking about. Y'all get what he's saying here? Let's go a step further. He says which is in the sight of God a great price. I think not only does a man that's married to a lady like that behold it, I think God does too. Because God says, when I see that, man, now that's a lady of great price. Come on, now wouldn't you like the Lord to say that about you? Wouldn't that be cool? 
Now, he's going to give an illustration. Because here's what some of you are saying. Well, there ain't no woman like that exist. There's never been one in the history of the world. And Peter says, yeah, there was. Her name was Sarah. He says, oh, Sarah, in the same manner in the old times, the holy women trusted God. They adorned themselves, being in subject to their own husbands. Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now, I don't have time, but I could take you back and show you that. Whose daughters you are, as long as you do well, are not afraid with any amazement. So he says, watch your adornment, watch your attitude. He says, evaluate your attention. What are you putting your attention on? Now, fellas, you ready? And all the ladies said? Come on, all the ladies said? Amen. We're going to do the guys for a while. Let's look at the commands to the husband. Look at verse number seven. Likewise, you men. Dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as a weaker vessel, being heirs together with the grace of life with, that your prayers be not hindered. Now, he's going to turn the spotlight on the guys. And I'll be it honest. It is short. But, boy, you talk about packing a wallop. Look what he says. He says, number one, live with your wife. Look at what it says. You husbands, dwell with them. Live with them. That word there, to dwell together, is, is a very interesting word. It means to abide. It means to dwell. It put together, it means that you need to live together. Now, you're probably thinking to yourself, well, you know, Pastor, that's what I do. Every time I come home at night, there she is. So it's not talking about living under the same roof. What the verse is saying is that this is a close togetherness. That's the idea. There's a depth there. There's a, a sense of intimacy there. He says, husbands, you're responsible for the relationship in the home. And when you come home, you need to dwell with your, with your wife. You need to have a sense of togetherness with your wife. You say, Pastor, why is that so important? Because the average man thinks that as long as I bring home the bacon, that's my job. Come on, ladies, at least you can smile at me when I get on them. My job is to bring home the bacon and their job is to fry it. Boy, we're really doing well here, aren't we? He says, live with your wife. Be at home with your wife. This isn't saying sitting down and say grace before you eat and then dig in. No, it's basically sharing a life with her. It's basically more than sharing the marital bed. He's saying, listen, you need to dwell together with her. Then he goes a step further and he says, know your wife. He says, I want you to dwell together with her. But he says, I want you to live with her according to knowledge. What does that mean? Well, it's not talking here about academic knowledge. It's talking about understanding. It's talking about a thorough understanding of your wife. It's the idea of, 
of making a study of your wife and knowing how God made her and putting that together in the way that you treat her. Oh, I know my wife. Brown hair, blue eyes. She's this tall. She weighs this much. I know what she likes to eat and I know her favorite restaurant. It's not that kind of knowledge. Any man can know that thing. You know, here's the thing that you got to recognize. God made your wife a unique vessel. And God, when he talks about your wife, he says, fellas, you need to make a study of her. You need to make sure you understand how she ticks. You need to know what that innermost makeup is. You need to understand what her concerns are. You need to understand what her fears are. And then you need to help her feel secure and work through those fears. Because that's the way you dwell together in an understanding way. And you know the thing that's really sad? I got married 42 years ago. Nobody gave me a handbook. Well, they gave me the Bible, but it wasn't as if somebody said, my father-in-law didn't walk up to me and put his arm around him and said, no, let me tell you some things about my daughter that you ought to know. I met my father-in-law the day we got married. Dysfunctional family would not really cover what was going on there. He'd been out of the picture a long time. And, you know, the bottom line was, you're on your own. Figure it out. You say, Pastor, how do you figure it out? You dwell together. You explore the person. You begin to understand what makes her tick. And you make a study of your wife and you begin to live with that wife in an understanding way. This is the way she is and this is what I need to do in order to, to make her world come alive. I know that this is the way she is, so this is the way I've got to treat her. I know this is the way she sees things, so this is what i got to do. That's what he's saying. Well, pastor, you know, I'm busy. I, I work 40 hours a week. I, I'm, I'm bringing home the bacon. Well, maybe that's why you get along so well at the house. You ever put that together? Maybe one of the reasons why I don't get along with her is because I don't know who she is. Maybe the reason we never have any intimate conversations is because I don't put enough emphasis on figuring out what she's like. Scripture says, fellas, live with her according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife. When's the last time you gave her honor? We get in the car and she's a little slow and say, Dad gum woman, why do you take so long? I've been standing in here for 10 minutes waiting on you. Boy, you're giving us some honor now, buddy. You go out to take her out to eat to the favorite restaurant that you know. 
And you're inside sitting in the booth and she's still in the car waiting for you to open the door. Why? It's because of all that honor you're bestowing upon her. Come on, smile at me, fellas. You understand what the Bible's saying here? You say, Pastor, I can't understand why all my wife does is ride me like a stinking horse. Well, maybe it's because you don't understand her. Maybe it's because you don't honor her. Maybe it's because you not made a study of it or figure out what makes her tick. You're not dwelling together. Come on, fellas, smile at me. Come on, let's go for it here. I told you I was going to get on the guys too, ladies. You, you got to take me at my word. Now, notice the way the Bible talks here. It says, living together with your wife in an understanding way as a weaker vessel. And some of you are going to say, what's he going to say about that? Well, let me just say this. It has nothing to do with character or intelligence. Weaker vessel here is the idea, not morally or spiritually or intellectually, it means a woman has less physical strength. It means, husbands, you got to recognize that she's not as strong as you are, and you need to take that into account. You ever tried to move furniture with your wife? Come on, have you ever tried to do that? It's a waste of time. It's a waste of time. Come on, babe. I've got the heavy end. <laughs> she looks at you like, what rock did you crawl out from under? What is she saying? She says, man, this is heavy. Especially, especially, you know, my wife, I was there when she gave birth to all three of our girls. She did it naturally. That means she didn't have any, any painkillers. And man, you got to be tough as nails. I've never heard of having a natural appendectomy. <laughs> Have you? I, I went one time to the, to the dentist and he says, you, you, want, you want some pain, some Novocaine in there? I said, nah. I said, well, I don't know. And he said, well, you know, your dad doesn't take any. How about you? I said, well, if he can do it, I can do it. So I sat there and they started drilling and I said, time out, time out. No, 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 we're going to get some painkiller in there. Hey, bottom line is this. I know my wife's tough. I've seen her give birth. But the Bible is saying she's a weaker vessel. She's not physically as strong. Robert Curlin, the orthopedic surgeon, sports medicine specialist, said if, if the battle of the sexes was reduced to a tug of war, a line of 100 men on one side, a line of 100 women on the other side, the men would win. You say he's a sexist pig. No, God made men stronger. Unless there's a hormone, weird Russian stuff happening. Under normal cases, the, the, how many would agree with that? God's goal, fellas, is for husbands to be sensitive. 
God's goal is for you to be strong and macho, and your wife is not. We need to say no to more things in our lives so that we can say yes to more things at our house. You'll never get to know your wife unless you put the time in. Well, when he says to honor your wife, let me just say this. The word honor there means precious. Verse 9, look at what it says. Not, not rendering evil for evil, railing for railing, but counterwise blessing. Know that you are there unto a call that you could inherit a blessing. The idea of the word there is translated in verse number 9. It's the idea of, of being precious. Now, I got to quit. Let me, let me quickly give you a promise. Let's look at it. Man, I'm, my time gets away. I get messing around sometimes and I get carried away. Sorry about that. He says, giving honor to your wife as a weaker vessel, being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now, ladies and gentlemen, look at me just for a second. That is a promise to both. Wives, if you don't submit to your husband, and husbands, if you don't treat your wife right, Bible says your prayers can be hindered. That's not a tense situation until you really need one, need one to get answered. You ever pray about something that seemed like the light would never come on? You seem like the, every time you prayed it was, I'm not here and I'm not listening? It could be because Wives, we're not treating our husbands right, and husbands, we're not treating our wives right. Did you ever think about the fact that disharmony in your home affects your prayer life? Mm -hmm. Wow. You know, I would say that maybe God is semi-serious about this. Now, how do we make it practical? Let me give you a couple of things. First of all, when you go home, now some of you are going to just poo-poo this and you're going to miss out. When you go home, fellas and wives, I want you to write down four things that you appreciate about your wife or your husband. Four qualities. That's what he's been talking about, inner qualities, yes or no. Come on, is that what he's been talking about? Write down this list about your mate, think it through, and then sooner or later this week, sit down with each other and look each other in the eye and tell them what you wrote down. For some of you, that'll be the most intimate conversation you've had in a year. There's no joke there at all. It will be for some of you because that's not what you do. Second, go back through this passage in 1 Peter as your guide and admit to your wife or your husband one thing that you would like to change about yourself. Be honest. Be vulnerable. I don't know any mate that's worth their salt, that wouldn't be impressed by a husband or wife being vulnerable in a situation like that. Now, don't get them reversed. I'm not saying you write down something that you want them to change. 
You want to have World War III? Just try that one out. That won't go. I'm talking about you look at yourself. You pick out an area that you need to work on. And then tell them. You say, Pastor, why do you do that? Because your chances of changing go up dramatically when she knows that you know that she knows. <laughs> That'll come to you when you get home. Talk truth. Refuse to blame. Guard against becoming an evening of confrontation. Make it an evening of getting together. That's what this passage is saying. Dwell with them. Get together intimately. And it's not talking about the bed. It's talking about sharing a life. You know, you might be amazed. You might get to the point where you say, you know what? Maybe my marriage has hope. Maybe my situation could change. Maybe he's not the old turkey I thought he was. A good marriage isn't so much, are you listening, finding the right partner as it is being the right partner. It starts with you. It starts with you. Say, Pastor, who needs to change in your marriage at your house? Who do you think? And by the way, I'm looking at the ones that need to change at your house, too. You listening to me? It's a shame when the church's divorces, divorce rate is the same as the world's. Especially when you consider that we have the Lord Jesus Christ as our help. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful.